The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. One of the most fearsome weapons in ancient history was the English longbow. And it was a, a bow that stood about six feet tall. They say that it took Um, Some estimate as much as 150 pounds of pressure to pull the bow all the way back. But when you launched that arrow, it went as far as 1,000 feet with accuracy. And this particular weapon was so powerful, it really changed the course of warfare for a period of time. And it really kind of broke out on the scene in the beginning of the Hundred Years' War between England and France, we're talking like 1300s, um, in the Battle of Cressy was one of the first battles of that, um, of the Hundred Years' War. And basically how it played out is the English landed on, uh, in France. The estimates are somewhere between, they had 12 to 14,000 troops, but of the 14,000 troops or so, Um, 10,000 of them were archers. They were facing off against a French force that was maybe twice the size. But when they met, historians have remarked, it was one of the most decisive battles in the history of, of warfare. The English absolutely annihilated the much, much larger French army. And the reason was because the English longbow had, it was appearing on the scene. I want you to imagine 10,000 archers launching 10 to 12 volleys a minute up to 1,000 feet. You'd have 10,000 arrows descending on your army, thinning your ranks. Imagine 10,000 arrows about every five seconds. You can see how it pretty much wiped out the French forces so quickly. But what's interesting is throughout uh, British history, there's one particular bowman that might be the most famous. And the name of this bowman is Mad Jack. And what makes it so interesting that he's the most famous of all the English longbowmen is he had the right weapon, but in the wrong battle. You see, you would not expect Mad Jack to be a bowman in the war or in the battles that he fought. Mad Jack didn't fight in the 1314, uh, 15th century. He fought in World War II. And he's Mad Jack because he was known to be a little bit crazy. Let me tell you what I mean. We've got a picture of him. Pull up that picture of Mad Jack. Okay, this is a battle in World War II. They're landing. This guy right here is Mad Jack leading his men. And you see what he's got in his hand? He's got a sword. He was known to lead World War II soldiers into battles against the Nazis wielding a sword Um, Or, if not wielding a sword, brandishing a sword, he was known often to be playing bagpipes into battle. He would be playing, like one, for one example, he'd be playing the bagpipes, he'd stop playing, throw a grenade, and then they'd all rush into battle with Mad Jack in the lead, still carrying his bagpipes, mind you. 
He was known to have his longbow and a quiver full of arrows. And in one battle, the Nazis were charging in on him. He took out his longbow, killed a Nazi soldier, and then picked up a couple machine guns, thinned down the lines, and led his troops to safety. Now, the reason that he's one of the most famous English longbowmen in history is because he's, re he's the last recorded kill by longbow in the history of warfare was that kill in World War II. Crazy guy, I mean, uh, well-decorated English war hero, but the crazy, one of the crazy things about him is he had the right weapon, incredible weapon, just the wrong battle. There were some other weapons that were a little bit more effective to be used in World War II. Right weapon, wrong battle. Now, why do I bring that up to you? Why do we talk about this today? The passage that we're looking at it talks about a weapon that each one of us have in our hands that we most likely don't even see it as a weapon. But if we do see it as a weapon, there's a good chance, I mean, very often we're taking that weapon and we're applying it to the wrong battle. We're, we're, we've all are fighting battles. We have all kinds of different battles in our lives. You know, we're battling for, uh, for our careers, for our, our jobs, for our companies, for financial security. We're fighting for maybe building wealth or for retirement or, or safety or security or comfort or vanity or, or, or the success of our kids. We're fighting all kinds of battles, but the challenge is sometimes we have the right weapon in the wrong battle. And if we get this wrong, man, the consequences are, are it, it's dramatic. So I want you to see what the Bible says. Open with me to Psalm 127, because this passage talks exactly like this. This is the text that we're looking at in this series, Psalm 127. We're going to pick it up in verse 1. Psalm 127, we're going to start in verse 1. Here's what it says. A song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house... Those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Now pause with me right there for a second. Um, Solomon, as in the, the Solomon, the son of David, um, he's the one who wrote this, this particular psalm. And he starts out talking about the things that we build. Now, this is a little bit of what we talked about last week, but let's recap um, a little bit to, to lead into to the next few verses. But he talks about there's things that we're building, and then once we build it, there's things that we're watching over. All those things that we mentioned, you know, career, children, uh, health, um, it could be security, it could be retirement, it could be whatever, or significance. All the things that we're building, and Solomon, who built a lot, by the way, built an empire. He says it just very, very plainly, very clearly. He says, look, if God's not building it, you're wasting your time. If God's not, if you're not building where God's building, <clears throat> you're, you're laboring in vain. It's complete waste of time. And even the things that you've built, whether it's a family or it's your health or it's uh, wealth or security or a career or a company, even the things you've already built, if God's not watching over it, 
that's a waste of time. I mean, you can't watch over it and bring about total safety and security on your own. He's basically saying, we are that dependent on God. Now that is a very vulnerable thinking. It's much more comfortable to think, okay, I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to build something. Uh, I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to watch over something. I'm going to maintain control, make sure that it's built to where I want it to be. And I'm going to make sure that I watch over it to where I want it to be. I'm going to watch over, build and watch over. I'm going to make it happen. And through my experience and my hard work, through my diligence, by doing it right, I can build it the way I, I know it's supposed to be. And I can watch over and keep it safe the way I know it should be. Solomon knows that's a reflex because he says there's nothing new under the sun. The same reflex he has and every generation has. And he says, listen, you can go that route and you can say, no, but with the things that I'm building, with my family, my career, my wealth, my health, whatever it is, the things that I'm building, I'm just going to knuckle down. I'm just going to make it happen. Whether I have to get up early, go to bed late, I will make it out. I will watch over it. I will build it. I will keep it safe. And he says this, look, you go that route, He says, it's in vain that you get up early and go to bed late. He says, all you're going to do is you're basically pulling up to a table and you're just going to wolf down and gobble up anxiety, the bread of anxious toil. He says, if you go that route, because here's what you're doing. He says, if you and I do that, we are trying to control something that only God can control. And we say, man, oh, that just makes me feel very vulnerable. It makes me feel vulnerable that as hard as I'm working, like I'm that dependent on God. It's, man, isn't it much more um, comforting to say, I think I'm in control of 95% of it. Like I can build it 95% of the way. I can watch over it 95% of the way. I just kind of need God into like the last 5%. Like I just need, I just need that little push. Like I'm going to do everything my way. I'm going to do it right. But just to get that little bit ahead, that's where I incorporate God. And Solomon's saying, no, time out. That's not the way it is. It's not you do it with God's help. He says, you are completely dependent on God. God builds it, God's wa- God watches over it. You say, man, that, that's really vulnerable. You're saying my health is completely dependent on God? My children are completely dependent on God? My, my career is completely dependent on God? My financial security is completely dependent on God? That feels vulnerable. I'd rather it be dependent on me. And he gives us that last line there. He says, um, he gives to his beloved sleep. See, this makes us have to confront what we believe about God. And the more you and I realize we're God's beloved, the more at rest we are with the reality that we are completely dependent on him. He says, you're my, you're my child. I watch over my child. We say, yeah, but, but what if by God's plan, the company is not as successful as I want, or I'm not as financially secure, or I'm not as healthy, or my kids don't accomplish what I want them to. What if by God's plan, I don't get the things exactly the way I want them, but here's, here's where we have to rest in God, because here's what you and I both know. The person who has all the success that we would want, a lot of time that person is far more miserable than we are. And the person that has their, their company or their responsibility or have all the promotion and have all this more responsibility is not always, doesn't always have a better quality of life 
than they did before that. See, God loves you so much. He actually loves you too much to give you your life exactly the way you're envisioning it. He instead is going to tailor your life perfectly so that he can craft you for what is, is for your best. He will work all things together for good according to those who love and are called according to his will. He loves you too much to give you your dreams. He, he has better dreams for you. So he says, man, unless the Lord builds the house, you're laboring in vain. You're, you, can, you can double down and say, but no, I will accomplish it. He says, it's vanity. You're just wolfing down anxiety. Be at rest that God's in control and he loves you. So then here's the crazy thing that, that Solomon does. So this is what we were talking about last week. Now we come to this next verse. And it seems like or the right question should be, okay, then God, where are you building? Instead of God, here's where I'm building, I'd like for you to join in with me. God, where are you building? I will join in with you, right? You follow me? So then here's what he says. Let's pick it up in verse three. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. He says, look, now Solomon's just stirred up all this builder, watcher energy, and we're like, okay, it doesn't matter if I build it unless God's in it. So God, where are you building? And he says, behold, look. Look at these little hands you're walking through life holding. Look at these look at your look at your children, look at your grandchildren. Look at your look at your home. He says, "You want to join in where I'm building? Start at home." You want to join in where I'm building? God says, "Look, if you if you want to give yourself to a place first and foremost, build in your marriage, build in your children, build in your grandchildren." He says, "If you're wanting to build, build at home." All these other things God's in control of, he says, build where God is building. Now, this is where he takes this to another level. Let's pick it up in verse four, and we're gonna just park on this verse for today. Look what he says. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Now, look what he says here. He's saying children are like arrows. Arrows. He says they're like arrows in the hands of a warrior. He says children, it's such a rich metaphor. He says children are like arrows that you draw back and you're launching. He's using a, he shifts to a warfare metaphor. He says children are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Now, I want you to take a look at that word warrior because it's significant. The ancient Hebrew has a word for foot soldier. This is not this word. It's not just your average uh, soldier. The Hebrew has a word for archer, like arrows in the hands of a trained archer. That is not this Hebrew word. This is a very specific Hebrew word. It's the Hebrew word gibor. That's a fun word to say, so we're all going to say it together. Let's say it uh, on three. One, two, three. Gibor. Good job. You know Hebrew. Go impress your friends. Okay. Gibor. This is not your average word for warrior. This is not just soldier. A gibor is the, sometimes translated as mighty man. Gibor is the word for legendary war hero. That's what gibor is. King David, probably about a 
generation before this was written, King David, when he was, uh, if you remember, he rose to fame because he killed Goliath, right? He was a boy. And then there was this top 40 song that everyone in the region knew. Saul the king has slain his thousands, but David has, king, has slain 10,000s. Everyone's saying that. The Philistines even knew that song. I mean, it was a famous song. David became this mighty warrior. He fought some incredible battles for Saul, and then he had to flee for his life away from Saul and kept doing incredible things. And this was one of the most fascinating things about that season when David is running from Saul. Warriors from all over the region came and joined David. They're like, man, this guy's incredible. This guy's a, an anointed warrior. I want to be a part of that. And so some of the mightiest warriors of that era became uh, followers with David, this kind of renegade group of refugees running around, protecting David, trying to survive. And the name that the, the Old Testament gives to this band of warriors is the Giborim, the mighty men. Now, just because I can't help myself, I've got to tell you about these mighty men, okay? And I, I could tell you the stories, but I, I just want you to get into this here with me. So I, I'm just going to read it to you. I want you just to hear it straight from the Bible because these stories are legendary. So I'm reading this straight out of 2 Samuel uh, 23, verse 8. L listen to this. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Josh Josheb, this is going to be fun, by the way. There's a lot of names in here, so... We're going to have fun with this together. All right. Josheb Bashabeth, a Takamenamanaman. He was, he was chief of the three. That's the correct pronunciation in Hebrew. Okay, don't laugh at me. All right. He was chief of the three. He wielded his spear. Look at this. He wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. That's a serious warrior. And next to him among the, the three mighty men was Eleazar, son of Dodo. That's a bummer. I'm sorry. Son of Dodo, son of Elohi. He was with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle. And the men of Israel withdrew. Watch this. The men of Israel withdrew. He rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about victory, a great victory that day, and the men returned after him only to strip the slain. Do you see that? They go into battle. Everyone else runs away. He stands his ground with a sword and single-handedly beats that entire battalion of Philistines until they're all dead. His hand, he can't let go of the sword. He's been gripping it so long, so tightly, and everyone else kind of sheepishly comes back like, hey, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Um, I won't make fun of you for your dad's name, Dodo. I feel bad about that earlier, and... A little scared now that I did that, but you kind of took out all those Philistines, so thanks. Okay, like these guys are serious. Let me just read a couple more. And next to him, Shema, the son of Agi, the Herorite, the Philistine, gathered together at Lehi, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils, and the men fled from the Philistines, but he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines, and the Lord worked a great victory. And the three of, uh, the, three of the 30 chief men went down and came about at harvest time to David at the the cave of Abulam. You got to hear this story. This is crazy. When a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim, David was in the stronghold and the garrisons of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. 
Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and carried and brought it to David, but he would not drink of it, and he poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it for me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who, who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. I want you to catch what happens. They're, they're surrounded by Philistines, David's thinking about his hometown, Bethlehem, and he just says, and David should know better than just to say these things surrounded by this gibberim. He says, oh, that I could drink from the well of my hometown, Bethlehem. And these three, like, ultra-legendary guys are like, let's do this. And they run through the Philistine army, just the three of them, go all the way down to Bethlehem, draw out water from, from the well, fight their way back through without spilling any of the water, by the way. Bring it back to David. He's so astonished. He honors them by making it into an offering before the Lord and honors them by saying, this is so valuable to me, I'm presenting it to God. I, I can't even, I'm not even worthy to drink of this. This is the type of guys we're talking about. Okay. I could keep reading over and over. There's, a, there's another guy who goes against an Egyptian champion and he runs up, steals the guy's spear out of his hand, kills him with it. There's another guy that's tracking a lion and jumps into a pit that the lion goes into and kills it. I mean, it keeps going on and on, these stories of the Giborim. They're incredible. They're legends. It, this is a, a term would have been well known during the next generation, Solomon's generation when he's writing this. He says, like arrows in the hand of a gibor, a legend, a hero, the type that they sing victory songs about for generations in great halls, remembering their war exploits, like arrows in the hands of a gibor, our children in the hands of their parents. Interesting language. They say, well, man, <laughs> nice. I mean, I don't see myself as a gibor, but um, it's a nice metaphor. Why is that the metaphor? We're all fighting and pursuing greatness in some way in our lives. And whatever way you are fighting for greatness, whether intentional or not, that is the battle you will fire your children into. So if your great battle in your life is to build wealth, whether you intend to or not, that is the battle you send your kids into. If your great battle is for vanity, to be beautiful, attractive, to be noticed, whether you mean to or not, that is the battle that you are firing your children into. If your battle, if your life's battle, your life's work is to find significance through success in your career, through a thousand moments that your children, a million moments your children witness about you, 
you will be training to fire them off into their careers, possibly your, your same industry or not, but you will fire them into your career or into their career in pursuit of significance. That is the battle you are sending them into. If your battle is to build a life of comfort and pleasure and safety and security, and it's all about making sure that there's nothing threatening that's happening and everything's safe and secure, through a million little comments and conversations, that is what you will fire your children into because children are like arrows in the hands of their parents. And whatever battle the parent is fighting, that is the battle you are sending your children into. So here's where this text confronts us. Are you fighting the right battle? Here's what we know about parenting. It's, um, we all know if you're a parent or grandparent, or even if you're a future parent, if you had a parent, I mean, here's what you know. You can say, um, as a parent, you can say, do as I say, not as I do. It's a waste of time, right? All of us know that. Parenting is it's way more caught than taught. Our kids are catching way more than we're teaching. Both are important. But let's ask this question. What is the battle that we're fighting? Because it might be we have the right weapons in the wrong battle. We might have the right weapons. We might be taking our children, maybe our grandchildren, or, or, or starting to process our future children. We may be getting ready and we're fighting battles and we might be ready to launch them, but we're heading into the wrong battle. There is one battle that affects all the other battles. I want you to think about it. If your primary battle is for your health or your comfort, then you will have to neglect other battles to protect that. If your primary battle is for success at work, then you're probably going to neglect other battles, most often family. If your primary battle is to build wealth, then you're going to neglect other parts of the battle. But there is one battle that if you make that your main battle, it actually strengthens all of the other battles. Don't take my word for it. This is what God tells us. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. Does anyone know it? What's next? And all these things will be added unto you. The Bible is unmistakably clear. If you are a Christian, you have one primary battle. You are in a battle. You have been drafted into this battle. It's not even a battle that you pick. It has been picked for you. The moment you became a Christian, your number one battle is for the kingdom of God. Yeah, but what about, I've got to, I mean, I've got, I've, got I've got to provide for my family. And, and what about, I've got these dreams and these goals. And Jesus, when he gets to that point about um, seeking first the kingdom of God, he says all those things. He says, yeah, why are you worrying about what you will wear or what you will eat? He says, that's what the rest of the world worries about. But if I take care of all of creation, I'm going to take care of you. So have the rest of one who is his beloved and seek first the kingdom of God. Then you will be launching arrows into the right battle. 
Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be, will, will be added unto you. This is why when Jesus was calling his first disciples, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, he let them fight their battle of fishing. Do you remember this scene if you know it? He let them fight their battle of fishing. They go out. This is their expertise. This is how they were great. They were great fishermen. This was the battle they were fighting to be great fishermen. He let them go out onto the Sea of Galilee all night, and they caught no fish. Do you think this was a coincidence? No. That means Jesus was keeping the fish out of their nets to teach them a lesson here. He comes back in, some crazy rabbi who's probably never fished a day in his life said, hey guys, having some trouble? They've had no sleep, they made no money, they're grumbling, we caught no fish. Well, I think the problem is just cast it on the other side of the, of the boat. You know at least they rolled their eyes. But for some reason, maybe to get the crazy rabbi off the shore, they did. I don't even think they looked. <sighs> they throw it off the side. And Jesus, just smiling at them with a twinkle in his eye, without lifting a finger, called pretty much every fish in the region into their nets until they were breaking and they couldn't bring the net on. And what did they do? They left the net and the fish and they came and they fell down at Jesus' feet and he says, I've got a new calling for you. You're going to be fishers of men. You're not fishing in the lake. You're now fishing for the kingdom of God. Come and follow me. And you know what they did? They left the entire catch behind. They didn't cash it in first. They basically just won the lottery and they didn't accept the money. Why? Why do you need to accept that moment of provision when the provider is offering himself to you? You have perpetual provision. He says, you're, he's this, 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 the psalm is saying, man, you're, we're building, 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 building. He says, stop, just build where the Lord is building. He says, where the Lord is building. He's, he's building a kingdom. Let's build into our children, but let's make sure we are warriors that are fighting the right battle, launching our children into the right battle. You say, okay, that's fine, but I'm, I'm no uh, Gibor, like I'm no mighty man. Isn't this, that, that's the beautiful thing. He's saying, I want to make you into a mighty warrior for the kingdom of God. So I want to do that. You say, well, that's foreign to me. I'm new at this. I'm, I, I never saw this. I didn't grow up in a family like this. Or that I'm, I never saw myself as one of those spiritual people or whatever. That's because God is wanting to make you into a mighty warrior for the kingdom of God. He wants to tell the stories of what he's going to do through you throughout history in heaven. He wants to tell those stories of what he wants to do through you. Be a gibor. You say, how do I be a gibor? What do I, just tell me, what do I do? Um, this is what the word, because it doesn't matter what I say. You need to hear it from the word of God. Let me read you this verse. How do we become the mighty warriors for his kingdom? This is what it says. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. That's, our hope is Jesus. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another 
all the more as you see the day drawing near. What Christians have done from the very beginning is for starters, they hold fast to the person of Jesus. Secondly, how they have grown together as disciples, or we use the word mathetes, the Greek word, how, how they have grown together as disciples following Jesus is they have come together regularly to stir each other up. There is a, a context in which he has designed for us to grow together. It is not off alone. It is together as a body. He's wired you with needs that someone else in the body can serve. He's wired me with needs that others in the body can meet. He has wired us to grow together. So here's what I want, you, I want to do. I want you, if City Rev is your church home, I want you to be explicitly clear how we grow together. So here's what I want you to do. I need you to do something. If you don't have it out, I want you to grab your cell phone. Can you take out your cell phone? Take a minute. If you're watching online, Cooper City, I want you to take out your cell phone for a second. Um, I, I, I want to walk through this. I want you to be explicitly clear. We're in a season, there's usually two times during the year where we kind of zoom out and we kind of say, um, all right, what's our, our schedule going to look like as a family? What are, you know, where are we going to invest our time? There's usually two times during the year. There's the new year. It's a brand new year, new routines. But honestly, probably um, in Cooper City and in, in West Pembroke Pines and in uh, the cities around us, um, in our cities, it, it might even be more important that it's the beginning of the fall. That's when we're setting our schedule, setting our goals, setting our what we're going to do um, as a family as we begin school. So grab your cell phone. Don't get distracted and start sending text messages, but grab your cell phone, okay? And I want to walk through this. What, is, what do we do as a church so that we are growing to be giborim for the kingdom of God? For starters, it's the most obvious. We're not to neglect a meeting together. We come together week after week to worship at Cooper City, the West Pines campus. If you're traveling, we have live stream for when we're traveling, we can stay engaged, we come together. Why is this important? Well, I can just listen to another time. Why is this important? It's because God specifically works among us in a unique way when we come and gather together. There's something that he uniquely does here. That's no one in particular is responsible. It's the Holy Spirit. He's called us to come together because this is who we are. We're a body. You and I, we're each one piece of a body. So we come together week after week uh, on Sunday mornings like they did all the way back from the first generation of Christians on. We come together. We worship together. We hear the teachings of, of the Lord together. We come together in worship. Maybe you've been coming and you're saying, okay, uh, how do I? I want to go more than just attend, which I would encourage you to do. You're, we're, you're a part of the body. Don't just attend after some time, maybe you say, yes, this is my church home. Once you say City Rev is my church home, that is a cue where you take another step and you take a step to get involved. On the City Rev app, on that front page, that's where you can jump in and get involved on a serving team, serving with other people. You can get involved in a small group, okay? We, uh, one of the ways that, that we help you figure out where to jump in is what we call City Rev 1.0, 2.0, and 3.0. Um, if you've heard of 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, I want you to raise your hand for a second. I want you to know who's actually heard of this before. Okay, most everyone in the room. 1.0, every first weekend, uh, uh, every Sunday, every first Sunday of the month, we have 1.0. 
Um, it's after at, at Cooper City of 1.0 and 2.0, same month, same, same week of the month. Um, and in that you get a booklet and you go through the 1.0, 2.0 and 3.0. You learn, we go over the basics of what we believe it means to follow Jesus and how to take steps into being part of the church family. If you've never been to 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, you just stay after for uh, 20, 30 minutes. You can leave your kids in kids ministry if you have them. You just, instead of going um, and hanging out with, uh, with, with people after the service, you just stick around for 20, 30 minutes and you get one of these booklets and you grow in becoming part of your church family. Um, we actually have a City Rev 4.0, which is for leaders who are wanting to grow deeper in theology and understand the philosophy of their church, but that helps you get into, into your church family. We also have our small groups. If you've never tried out a small group, we have couples groups, we have, um, we have women's groups, we have men's groups, um, but this is why you need your cell phone out. I want you to uh, check out this slide. Go ahead and pull, pull the slide up on the screen. I want you to get your phone. Go ahead, take a minute, take a picture of this uh, on the screen. Take a minute. Here's what's coming up. We have, we're adjusting a little bit how we do our small group calendar. It's going to, our small groups are going to launch um, starting the week of September 11th, starting that week. It's going to go for 10 weeks. So this is a great time to sign up for a small group. You'll see there are a couple other key events right around there um, the, that are coming up, the 13th and the 17th. We've got a vision night in there, a couple other things. Um, you're going to want to make sure you're aware of that. That is another way that we come together as a church where we stretch each other to serving each other, growing together. Uh, we have small group resources all on the app that you can check out. I want you to know exactly the calendar coming up in the next month, but there's also something new that we are launching this fall. So I am going to invite out um, Pastor Josh Slaughterback. He's gonna share a little about something new. Help me welcome Pastor Josh uh, up here. Good morning, good morning. They weren't going to clap for you if I hadn't said yeah, that. Thank I you saw for, the look on their face. Thank you for cueing them. I, I know. They need, they need to cue. Thank you. Okay. Um, tell me what's happening. Um, what is the new wrinkle that's happening this fall that we need everyone, whether you're at Cooper City, watching online here at West Pines, um, what, what's the new thing coming up? Yeah, absolutely. So over at Cooper City, we've been trying something out. We're really building off of what they've been doing this last, I think, year now in Sunday small groups. We're going to be launching something called, as Pastor Roby said, family discipleship. And the idea is that it's a place where the whole family can come and be discipled. And so at Cooper City, it stays Sunday mornings before service, but here at the West Pines campus, it's going to be on Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. And the idea, again, is that it's a place that the whole family can come and be discipled. So we're going to have a whole kids ministry going with unique curriculum from Sunday where we're going to be investing and loving on and pouring into your children. We have our student ministry that's always been on Wednesday nights. If you didn't know that, you should know that. Student, student ministry is on Wednesday nights, right? Middle and high school. And then we will also have small groups take place here in the auditorium. We're going to change the chairs up a little bit, make a bunch of circles, maybe tables, and we'll have a bunch of small groups in here. So that is, maybe you've said, hey, I've wanted to get involved in a small group, but you know, I don't know what to do. I have young kids. I don't know what to do with childcare. This is designed for you to be able to just come on Wednesday nights if you want to come here to the West Pines campus to just show up. There's gonna be a place where our kids are gonna be getting discipled, and then we can uh, be having small group around tables here in the auditorium, um, and people can just show up, right? 
Yep, they can just show up. September 13th, we kick off. It's September 17th over at Cooper City. And that is one of the most uh, common barriers to entry to small groups is young kids. It's hard to figure out babysitting and take care of all that. So that hopefully is a solution to everyone here at City Rev. And we're launching this. What's the subject that those groups uh, will be talking about coming up? Yeah, we're really excited about this. We're going to be launching with a brand new series on parenting. And so we want to invest our time this fall into diving into that subject throughout those, like Pastor Roby said, 10 weeks. All right, so something new coming up, City Rev, um, Wednesday nights. Uh, what's the date it's starting again? September 13th here, September 17th over at Cooper City. Okay, Wednesday nights here, Sunday mornings at Cooper City, before the service at Cooper City. Wednesday nights here, bring your kids, bring your teenagers. Um, it's a place the entire family can, can come and be discipled all at once. This is how we are growing in our discipleship, following after Jesus, and, he's, and he shapes us into being mighty warriors for the kingdom of God. Anything else that... Nope, that sounds great. Amen. All right, let's thank Pastor Josh. Thank you. Okay, hey church, we're going into the fall. As we go into the fall, there's a lot of battles we can fight. Let's let this text shape our hearts. Let's let this text um, challenge us. What are the battles that I, what is the most important battle that I'm fighting? How is God shaping me for the battle? He's called us to fight for the kingdom of God. He wants to shape us in that battle. Those are some ways that you can join in with your church as the scripture calls us to and designs us. Let me, uh, I wanna end by reading this, this scripture out of Psalm chapter 24. Here's what it says. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, same word. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your head, heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts, that's Lord of the armies of heaven. He is the king of glory, Selah. Our God is a mighty warrior. He is, a, he is the ultimate Gibor. And he's making us in the image, in his image, more and more in the image of Christ. He wants to make you and I, he wants to make us into Giborim for his kingdom. He wants to make us mighty warriors for his kingdom, not only battling together, but deployed out in the city so that we can see South Florida transformed by the power of the gospel in our generation. Let me pray over you. Lord Jesus, uh, we, we offer ourselves to you. Lord, your church through the generations has come together, clinging to you, growing together to do your work. Would we continue that calling in our day? that you would shape us, be mighty warriors for the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray that you would draw us into taking a step. For those who feel like they've drifted, call them back. For those that feel called to reprioritize, give them the discipline to do that. For those who once felt they were focused on your kingdom, but they feel like they've drifted, Lord, I just pray that you would call them back to yourself. May we seek first the kingdom of God and watch how you take care of everything else.
and we pray over our children and our grandchildren, our spiritual children, our biological children. We pray over those you have called us to spiritually raise and to send into the spiritual battle. Lord, would we be faithful in rising up this generation to proclaim your name in our city. We offer ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, we're going to uh, close with a song today, a song as an opportunity for us to be reminded the name that we're lifting up above every name is the name of our Lord Jesus. That is, that is the key, most important battle that we fight. That is our number one focus. And so we're going to close by lifting up his name. Would you stand with me as we close? Thanks with this for song. listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.